Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hey, friends. Um, welcome again. <laughs> um, I am always thrilled with uh, folks in Orlando doing wonderful and beautiful things. Um, today, I invited my new friend, Heather, over uh, for a drink, uh, a midday drink for her. I am sadly not drinking right now. I'm just doing a little bit of a, a, a cleanse or a break, I guess. Not really a cleanse. Okay. So anyway, um, but I am very excited for her story because it was much more in-depth and all over the place and wonderful that I could ever imagine. Um, if you have met Heather, you would know that she has got, or if you've been to her shop, it is it is a very lovely addition to Orlando. Um, it's called Golden Hour Wine, uh, which sadly I do not drink wine, but um, she has about 700 um, offerings there. So if you are into wine, this is the place to go. Um, so I'm excited for her story and for her drink that I think this is the drink that I am craving the most. And when I resume, uh, having beverages, it will be probably the drink that I will probably have first, but I've been really missing a Negroni. So I made, uh, probably yeah my favorite my favorite drink at the moment with my favorite gin which is monkey 47 um it has 47 different botanicals and magical i don't know it's so good it's so good by itself it's so good in drinks um i would have to say i just really enjoyed it. It makes for a great Negroni. So if you're going to make a Negroni, all you need to know is one, two, three. It is one ounce each of gin, of Campari, and sweet vermouth. And then you're just going to um, mix that up with some ice and then pour it into a rocks glass or up, however you choose. Um, you are going to stir it, and I would not shake it, but that's just me. Um and so pour in a rocks glass with a cube, a rocks cube, and a little bit of a orange peel um, to top it off. And that's it. And it is wonderful. And this uh, episode is wonderful. So I hope that you greatly enjoy. Uh, cheers. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team-building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom, memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. 
Hey, Heather. Hello. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. We can't quite no, reach can't each other quite yet. Reach. Close. Cheers. Um, thanks for joining me for some day drinking. Kind of. <laughs> I am not drinking right now, which is like the saddest. It's um, a little sad. Yeah, it's sad. It's good. It's like a little pause. Yep. It's not forever, but it's just like, you know, right now I'm taking a little bit of a a pause, but you are not. So I am thrilled <laughs> that you, that I could make you a Negroni, um, which is honestly what I am craving. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that when, when I circle back to having a drink, That'll like be your a Negroni, first. I think it might be my first. Yeah. So today I made your Negroni with Monkey 47 Gin, which is honestly probably my very top favorite gin. Yeah, it's delicious. It is delicious. It has like 47 botanicals and magical spirits in it. I don't know. And then obviously Campari with some sweet vermouth. And it's hard. I feel like a Negroni is like hard to get wrong. I love cocktails that are like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just equal parts of three ingredients. Yeah. I mean, I can measure something. Exactly. So can you. The simple and ones are the best. Simple ones. So good. Um, so this will probably be a two-part, which is um, usually I obviously ask people what their favorite cocktail is and what maybe like a go-to drink is. And then we'll couple that with maybe your go-to wine. And some of yeah. your favorite wines. Great. Yes. What would be a favorite cocktail of yours? Again, I kind of stick to pretty simple. So okay. generally gravitating towards something like gin gimlet, a classic mm. daiquiri. Mm. Um, do you love a good corpse reviver? But again, like those pretty simple classic You're cocktails. really driving down the gin yeah. highway here. I, it, it goes between... Uh, Gin and rum, for sure. Those are those are the two for me. Two very, very delicious spirits. And you can do so much with them. Exactly. Yes, which is pretty amazing. Gosh, I love rum so much. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> Especially love, here in Florida. You know. Yes, just, yeah. And our old pal Hemingway really doing, doing the thing. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. So would you say in Orlando, would you have maybe one or two places that you have discovered that you would like to grab a cocktail? Oh, goodness. I love the cocktails at the sunroom, of course. Amen. Yes. I think it's my, one of my top. And the vibe there, too. It's just, just the vibe, the cocktails. They have such a strong it. cocktail menu. Yeah. It's yeah. wonderful. Um and then in my neighborhood, I love going to Osprey for a good cocktail as well. Amen. Just like yeah. close the shop. Walk on over. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are two great spots. I would, mine might be Sunroom and Domu. Mm. I just I mm-hmm. love sitting at that bar. I've never sat at that bar. Just gone for the food. Yeah. I've sat at the chef's counter. I've sat at a table. Inside and outside, but I've never sat at the bar. Okay. I don't know why. Just sure. worked out that way. I do I do love sitting at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I do love sitting at a bar. Not currently, but <laughs> I will again. Um, so what is, since you are a, a wine connoisseur uh, and you have a shop, 
which I would love for you to tell us all about when it opened and what's the vibe and purpose and all the things. Yeah. So I have a wine shop called Golden Hour Wine. It's located in Baldwin Park. It's not on New Broad. It's kind of this... um, a little bit off the beaten path, if you can be off the beaten path in Baldwin Park. In Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's actually a block off of New Broad. Um, so it's right down the street or around the corner from Sado. Um, tiny little shop. It's probably about 600 square feet, but mm-hmm. we have uh, just about 700 wines that we, you know, unique wines that we fit into that space. Right. Um, everything in there is... Uh, something that I, all the wines in there are wines that I really care about. They're small production. Uh, have you tasted all almost 700 wines? You know, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I have tasted the majority at some point, not necessarily this vintage. Okay. Um, that would be very hard. Uh, yeah, it would be, it would be challenging, yes. but I, but you know, I, I do certainly make an effort to, to taste, most of what's there, even if I have tasted it okay. in, pre- in previous vintages. Right. Um, but I do, I, the way that I source the wines for my shop, it's it's very much, so everything's, like I said, small production. All the vines have been farmed organically or biodynamically. Nothing's added to the wine during the winemaking process. Right. Which sounds like a silly thing to say, but um, wine is not like packaged food. Mm-hmm. So with packaged food, you have to list all of the ingredients that go ah. into the food or um, with wine. Right. You don't need to list really anything. So they're like, you just it's say like close it's close to wine. 70 additives that can be put in a bottle of wine that okay. we've never known. So that's things like artificial colors, artificial flavors, lots of sugar, um, thickeners. You know, it's like some people don't like to drink red wine because their teeth turn red when they drink red wine. Right. Well, the only reason their teeth are turning red has nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with the grapes themselves or wine. It has to do with what's being added. The to wine. So you're not going to your teeth are not going to turn red from any of the wine in my shop. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but, you know, I think for me, I say this often and I really feel that like, clearly I love wine. I love natural <laughs> wine, which is the the type of wine that I sell in my shop that I kind of just laid out the, like the details for, but right. um, for me, wine is very much a vessel and it's about bringing people together. It's about mm. crowded tables. It's about sharing wine and food and stories. And, you know, oftentimes I think to back to like, if I had to identify my favorite wines, um, first of all, it probably changes pretty often, but one of the reasons is because wine is so related to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you sharing the wine with? Where are you? What are the circumstances? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, I, I love sharing all of that with folks who come into my shop. Right. I love it. Do you have a wine that would be like a go-to or it's like a type of wine? I know you mentioned you, you do love champagne. I do. Like, yeah. I'm a huge grower of champagne fan. Um, bubbles in general, honestly. Okay. I just think I kind of go with everything okay. at any time of day. Right. Food, no food. They're just, 
you know, so often we think like they need the reserve for a special occasion. Oftentimes I'll I'll order a bottle of of sparkling wine at a restaurant. And and this isn't everywhere, but in certain places, folks will say, well, what are you celebrating tonight? And I'm like, nothing. Like sparkling wine should be on every table. Sure. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Um, I'm also a huge fan of German Riesling, uh, particularly for the kind of food that I enjoy eating. So I really love spicy food and just like a kiss of residual sugar can really cut through that spice. Okay. It's a good pairing. Yeah. Yes. I sadly, as I've mentioned, don't drink wine unless it's sweet vermouth, which I am obsessed with, um, or like a port or like something like that. And I will always try it. So, um, and I, you know, of course, like wish that I had, um, a better palate for wine in that way, because I know that it's a big part of dinners and it's so fun because people love bringing a bottle of wine to a dinner party. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really fun to like share that bottle, you know, right with, with the table and kind of like having that experience. Um, so either we share, you know, a bottle of that people bring and, or like I will have, I have bottles, you know, on hand um, that I'm always doing my best to like, is this a good match or is what right. is it? like I don't have a ton of different varieties on hands. I usually kind of like stick with the main one. Like I, I don't have the capacity to like house like 10 or 12 different wines, but um, I'm always like asking other people like, Oh, what's like a good pairing with this? Cause I kind of like don't really have any um, framework for that. And I honestly, when it comes to pairings, I mean, certainly there are better pairings than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think so much of it has to do with what do you like? What does your palate gravitate toward? It's very rare mm-hmm. that wine isn't going to go with a certain type of food. It may not be mm-hmm. as good as another pairing. Uh-huh. But, like, it's very, very rare. That it will clash? That it will clash. I mean, I've had instances where it's clashed. Okay. Do not, uh, yeah, do, do not, not get me wrong. recommend. But, I don't know. Good good wine often goes well with food. Okay. Period. Well, that's, that's uh, good that's, to know. That's my uh, humble Take on opinion. it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, with wine often come stories. And um, that's one of the reasons that I do dinner parties is I love sharing stories around dinner table. And I love sharing stories of people in Orlando that have just kind of done or are doing uh, very interesting and amazing things in Orlando. So, with our story, I kind of feel like we're just kind of put into the universe. We don't get to really choose when and where. Um, we are placed, kind of, kind of placed in the universe. <laughs> we don't get to choose our family of origin. We don't get to choose, um, you know, like our socioeconomics. So there's a lot we don't get to choose. But once we get here, um, then we're all trying to figure it out from there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to know, hear a little bit more about your story and just kind of like where you landed in the universe and like the family that you landed in and yeah. kind of family dynamics and kind of what those kind of zero to 10 years were like <laughs> for Heather. Uh, I'm from upstate New York originally, uh, pretty far upstate. So like practically the Vermont border. Okay. Um, 
in in a relatively small town, like relatively rural area. Um, it's it's changed a bit since I was growing up there, but but that was the general the general vibe. Okay. Um, I'm the oldest of three. My dad was a was a cop. My mom was a teacher. Okay. So like very uh, classic. I don't know. Sure. Middle class family. Sure. Um. So I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and okay. we are all very, very, very different. Okay. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you was like growing up? Was there like times where you felt like closer or not as close? Um, or I mean, I, I would say that we are. You know, we while we are different, we have always been pretty close. Um, but kind of all just always did our own thing at the same time. Right. Just kind of like intrinsically very different yes yes um my obsessions as a kid were like one doing well in school okay (laughs) wanting to please my parents um and just being a good kid in general like I was very I always tried to do the right thing and was very afraid just internally not because of anything anyone was putting on me like no pressure that my parents were giving me uh but I just, just always knew. felt this internal drive to do, quote unquote, the right thing. Yeah. Um, interesting. I'm sure I know my brother did not appreciate that very much. Um, but and and then the second thing was I was very obsessed with baseball, like okay. obsessed. Um, and it was something that I always like. It, it's funny now looking back because it seems so silly, but <clears throat> it was something I kind of always try to tried to hide because I didn't think a girl was supposed to be obsessed with baseball. I didn't hide it from my family, but I hid it from like people, people at school. Okay. Yeah, sure. Cause I felt a little bit un, um, not unpopular, but just not a, maybe among your peers, maybe not. Yeah. They all cared about like Barbie dolls and then, and then later teen Vogue or whatever. And I could have cared less. All I wanted to do was talk about read and write about baseball. <laughs> what was your team? team the Mets. Uh, the, Mets. The, New York Mets yeah. the New York Mets. 100%. Okay. And that was very, it was great because it also, that was very much a connection that I had with my dad and it was a mm. great bond that developed mm-hmm. between us through that. Was the, I'm assuming your dad was a Mets. Yes. So <laughs> were the Yankees like a like a forbidden? Yeah, I mean we subject. weren't those like cra- we weren't those crazy people that were like, oh, we hate the Yankees. But yeah, they they weren't really a part of the conversation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, fascinating. So you kind of touched on a little bit, but kind of like who was like Heather in like middle school, high school years? Like who who was like the person that you were becoming? Kind of stayed the same way, like always trying to do really well in school. Mm. Um, With an internal drive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Played the clarinet, played softball, um, was the editor of the high school yearbook, vice president of the class. Like, I don't know. For some reason, I just felt, I mean, I enjoyed all of it, but I definitely wanted to be good. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, kind of like we were talking about just like those intrinsic internal drivers. Yeah. It's like. Nobody was forcing me to do anything. Mm-hmm. Literally. And I, I don't want to say my parents didn't care because they very much cared that I worked hard. 
Right. But there was no pressure to do anything specific. Right. Other than coming from You me. just knew inside of you, you felt like, I want to be good. Yeah. And perfect. <laughs> Whatever. And I, I want to write. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's so fascinating. I think just some of the some subconscious things that aren't like... I'm, I'm driven for this or I see this or my parents are making do, uh, do this, but just, I natu- we are naturally the person that we are created. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then how did that lead into like kind of after high school, did you want to pursue, like, how did you end up in wine? Like how, what is, <laughs> what is this journey? This is like my third life or third career, I guess. Okay. Um, so we've got a journey to go on. Yeah. Okay. So after, um, I always thought, actually, I always thought as I was graduating from high school that I would work in baseball. Wow. Um, and wanted to like work in the front office of a team or be a journalist. Wasn't sure at the time. So I applied to some schools that focused on sports management and journalism. Um, but I also thought I really wanted to go to a small liberal arts school and those two things didn't really coincide. Coincide, It's one or the other. Right. Um, And specifically, I really wanted to go to a women's college because I felt like I just wanted to focus on my academics. It's like, again, back to that, I don't know, focus and doing my work and getting things done. Um, So I ended up, I ended up choosing the small liberal arts women's college over baseball and or seemingly over baseball or over sports management and went to Bryn Mawr College right outside of Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, and uh, majored in history. <laughs> okay. Very has nothing to do with anything I'm doing now, really. Um, but then ended up, at least my senior year, twisting things so that Basically, my senior year was focused on history and baseball. So it still was coming back to that. Um, this is a through line. <laughs> baseball, really? For yeah. sure. Um, but then when I graduated or was getting ready to graduate, I felt I was surrounded by a bunch of very liberal driven women who wanted to, who were like very focused on giving back and the idea of going to work in uh, baseball at that point seemed again, it was like kind of this embarrassment, I guess, like a different kind of embarrassment than I had when I was a kid, but an embarrassment. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Um, So instead I applied to teach for America Oh, yeah. And um, ended up getting accepted and went to Washington, D.C. to teach there um, and ended up. So Teach for America is a two year commitment. And I ended up staying on at my school for for six years in total. Oh, wow. so I was a yeah an elementary school teacher for six years in D.C. public wow. schools, <laughs> which Did was it? like literally the most challenging role I've ever had. Sure. And I have so much respect for teachers. Absolutely. Like, 100%. I, I don't know how they do it. No. No. And teachers that not only teach all day and then, and then go home to their own children. Like it's a lot of work. It's mm-hmm. very, it's emotional, physical, like it takes everything. Mm-hmm. I you, can imagine. I mean, it's so silly, but you can't just be like, Oh, I have to run to the restroom. Like that's, you can't just do that. 
when you have a classroom of 22 children sitting there. You have to navigate your day. Yeah. Everything. Um, so yeah, that's crazy. I did that. And then, um, was really enjoying it and found, uh, I was, was really happy with it and found a niche for myself and like loved my school community. Um, but I was about, I was like reaching my late twenties and, um, there, there was the baseball thing again. Okay. (laughs) Your heart is always continually drawn to baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Was it the Mets that you wanted to work for specifically? No. Or like, I mean, and and if anything, it was almost this idea of, and it kind of, this is what kind of ties back to now, but also to my, to my classroom. It's like this idea of creating community, right? Mm -hmm. Um, creating a classroom community, like that's, you know, at the most basic level, the only way to yeah. be a successful teacher is if you create a positive classroom community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came to baseball, at that point, it was less about the game for me. And it was more about how sports teams affected communities, large and small, depending. Mm. Um, so I decided to leave teaching and went to grad school okay. and got a, an MBA and a master's in sports management. <laughs> So you did it in the, in the, yeah. in the end. Because I was like, yes. well, if I just all of a sudden go and apply to jobs in baseball, they're going to be like, why is this woman in her late 20s who's been an elementary school teacher in D.C. applying for positions to work with us? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, so I so I went to grad school, and, and that was really so much about networking and meeting people. Um, Where was that? It was at UMass Amherst, so okay. Western Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. I have family from Amherst. Ah, yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, let's see. I spent the summer between my two years working for the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Uh, so football, not baseball. Is- but I was actually working for their nonprofit. And again, that felt like a good sort of uh, direction to go in. And ultimately, right. I... I ultimately knew I still wanted to stay in baseball, but I decided at that point that it wasn't major league baseball that I actually wanted to be a part of. It was minor league baseball because in minor league baseball, there is more of a focus on community. There is more of a focus on hospitality. uh, And also you're not pigeonholed into, Oh, I am the director of marketing. No. When you work for the front office of a minor league baseball team, you do a little bit of everything. Sure. Including clean the restrooms, but that's fine. Like, wow, you just you just do it all, but you really understand every aspect of the business and you feel, wow, you're engaged. Yes. I mean, physically, you are like hands on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So I ended up um, I started as the director of ticket sales for a minor league baseball team affiliated with the Houston Astros. Okay. um, And then transitioned to becoming a director of fan development, which was kind of, it encompassed community relations, tickets and, um, sales and merchandise. Right. Yeah. This is like, like so many parts that like don't exactly go together, but they (laughs) like how fun (laughs) is it to like, see, I love it that kind of, our generation, it's like you don't have to be stuck in one thing for 40 yes. years. 
that you can like pursue something, right? You did the teaching thing and that was you're successful there. And then you decided, okay, like that was one part of this chapter. Another chapter is going to be pursuing baseball. And you're like, okay, now I have to like get my hands literally in this and then figure it out. And you got to, to your end goal of working in baseball. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you said for the Astros? So it was, yeah, the Tri-City Valley Cats was the name of the team. Okay. And that actually brought me back to upstate New York randomly, like an hour south of where I grew up. Okay. Um, and they were, yeah, the Houston Astros affiliate. Right. Houston Astros. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so did you feel like you're like, oh, I've landed somewhere that I feel like I've really wanted to, like, this is where I wanted to be. Yes. Yes. Um, and pretty quickly I felt relatively good at it and I was moving up in the organization and I was being recognized in the league and there were lots of like lots of factors going on but one of them was that all of a sudden I wasn't sure that I could see myself doing that forever and um it kind of well I always felt comfortable in the day-to-day it was still very much a good old boys network. And it wasn't that I was running away from Mm. that piece because Mm -hmm. that part I didn't really care about so much, but it was also like very young and very immature. Like the staff? Yeah. Like everybody wants to work in baseball. Everybody wants to work in professional sports. Okay. And so everybody like along those lines. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a certain generally there's a certain type of person Mm -hmm. that wants to do that. And I was like, while it was fine at that point in my life, I was like, am I going to be 40, 45 years old at 50 still doing this? Even if I'm the general manager of the team, do I want to be managing a bunch of 20 early 20 somethings? Because you get, you get burnt out and you don't get paid a lot. So while everyone wants to do it at the beginning, sure. It's, there's a lot of turnover because of, uh, low pay and long hours. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. Um, Was it more rare for a woman to be in any of the roles within baseball or was that? Yeah. I mean, there were still far, even at that point, um, far fewer of us in general. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that was probably something interesting to navigate as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it it definitely was. Um, but I like that sort of challenge. It was more the, the or I, I don't mind that sort of challenge. It was more the, like, immaturity mm. that really over time. And it wasn't even at the moment. At the moment, I felt like I could handle it. It was like, do I want to In be? In 20 years, yeah, like, am I is still going to be dealing with this? Yeah, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't envision it. Um, so after all that buildup, I left that job. Okay. And I went back to education briefly. Okay. (laughs) But not in the back in the classroom. I was a recruiter of teachers. And so I was recruiting teachers for... For Teach for America? Well, close. So for a charter school organization um, that had schools in Troy, where I was. Okay. um, And also other parts of upstate New York, um, Boston, Brooklyn, Newark. Oh. And so I was... um, New England. Yeah, like... Yeah, the New England tri-state area sure. recruiting people, but mostly focused on the Boston, Troy, and Rochester schools. Okay. Um, but doing a fair amount of traveling and... Um, I was in Rochester a couple years ago. Oh, really? Visiting some friends. Yeah. Did you go to Good Luck? 
I feel like that would be a place that you would really like. I don't remember that. I went to a couple restaurants there. Um, but sadly, I don't remember if that was one of them. But I do remember that I really enjoyed Rochester. I went in the summertime. Mm, um, yeah. yeah. The time to go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I did. I did go in the summertime. I do not love cold weather. So upstate New York would not be a place that I could envision myself living long term. I can thoroughly understand. Um, and I actually grew up um, in Virginia near Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Arlington. Yeah. And then Loudoun County, which is a little bit for like sure further yep. out. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I grew up with seasons and I grew up with that whole thing. Um, but the the upstate um, coldness or like a Chicago coldness or something like is not something I could envision myself on, on in the long haul being able to. I think even I've lived in Florida now for 20 years and I'm like, good Lord, like I, my I can visit somewhere cold, but right. I think my blood has thinned out. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of a wuss like when it comes to like really cold weather for an extended period of time. But um, but in the summertime, I did really enjoy Rochester. Yeah, it's lovely then. Mm-hmm. So how far is Rochester from Troy? Uh, it's about, I guess it's like four, four and a half hours. So okay. Troy is, is direct, directly north of New York City, like three hours north okay. and right outside of Albany. Oh, I've been to Albany. Yeah. Mm, that must have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for work. Okay. So I wasn't there for any like yeah anything. I was like, well, here I am. <laughs> it's all good. Okay. So um, you're kind of back in the role of finding the teachers yep. to be in those different school districts. Yep. Right. Um, and so during, so while recruiting, I was doing a fair amount of traveling, okay. obviously. Right. Did you have to go visit all those schools? Yeah. So I would drive to those locations and then occasionally we would go to other places um, to, to recruit. So like across the country. Oh, wow. Um, and with all of that, I... And, and then in my own personal time, trying to travel a bit as well, I would constantly find myself on my travels or during my travels in wine bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily because I loved wine, honestly. I appreciated ah. wine. I didn't know that much about it. I okay. enjoyed it and that's about it. But it was the reason I kept going back and trying to find new spaces uh, was because of how comfortable they made me feel. Mm-hmm. They were generally like nine times out of a 10, incredibly welcoming, calm, no TVs, mm-hmm. comfortable spaces for women. Mm-hmm. Um, Felt safe. Yeah. Not like bro beer bars, obviously. Mm-hmm. And... I like that. And there yeah. wasn't anything like that in Troy where I was at the time. Uh, so then I, then I think I wanted to travel even more because I just kept searching for that feeling. Um, How, were there any that come to your memory of like, as you traveled ones that you remember liking in different cities? Oh, for sure. Um, so there were two that were really important to me. Okay. Uh, one just in terms of creating a vibe and a welcoming space. And that was, it's, I don't even think it's a wine bar anymore, but it was called the Costello plan. And that was in Brooklyn. 
and, and it wasn't, uh, it was a very tiny spot and it was just, the lighting was perfect. The team who worked there was perfect mm-hmm. and open and empathetic. Um, and they would do little snacks and it just, it was a spot that I could wrap up my day. Like, cause the, the offices for the charter schools that I worked for were in Manhattan. Uh, and so I could wrap up my day and go out to this wine bar and just like do a little work, read, hang out. Mm-hmm. And it just felt great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like in terms of creating a space. And then the other one that was really influential to me for other reasons or some of the same, I suppose was a spot or is a spot in San Francisco called terroir. Okay. Uh, and that was really important to me because it really made me think more, uh, more specifically about wine and not just about the space Okay. and the type of wine that I wanted to be drinking and the type of wine that I wanted mm. to be in sharing, sharing and enjoying. And, and terroir was one of the first natural wine bars in the country. Okay. And I, I think I was in San Francisco. Oh gosh. I don't remember the neighborhood. It was okay. pretty like at the time, I'm sure it's totally different now, but it was pretty removed from a lot of things. Um, and I think I was only in San Francisco for four days and I found myself there three of the four days. And at that point, actually, so prior to that, I had already been thinking about doing something with wine. Okay. And I knew that it. Even while you're in your baseball days or. No. Just in the just Yeah. Just the in teaching. the recruiting okay. days. Yeah. Um, and at that point I didn't really, the priority, what I knew was it needed to be a welcoming community gathering space mm-hmm. where everyone felt comfortable. Right. Um, but what, where I really honed things in on the specific wine concept was at terroir and the, and the, and the, the notion and around, uh, like focusing like, on natural wine, wines that mm. were farmed by the same people making the wines that were farmed the right way with nothing added to the wines. Right. Did you ever do any like wine country exploring? I did a little bit of of that when I was out there too, for sure. Um, But truthfully, a lot of that is not, um, it's, well, it's definitely not, it's definitely not the wine that I feature in Golden Hour now. Okay. Um, And also a lot of it isn't produced in the way, like in the way that the wines that I get behind are is our place. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So then how you were kind of like starting to like slowly collect these like ideas and dreams and like getting a vision of maybe where you also could see yourself heading as far as outside of these two baseball and teaching um, moments that you've had in your life and then kind of like starting to brew yeah so there was this point where I was like well I miss I miss hospitality I miss like creating community Mm -hmm. um I also am sad that I don't have a place like these places in my community Mm. uh and there was kind of like no wine bars oh no it was literally all Sports bars, beer bars, TVs. Okay. That was it. And and the places, there was one restaurant that didn't have a TV and it had a chill vibe, didn't have very good wine. And it also like, I will not forget this only because they love to like 
make fun of us after the fact, but they would, they had these huge goblet wine glasses and they'd pour the wine all the way to the top. And so when, when we opened the wine bar and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but when we opened the wine bar and we poured the traditional five ounce pour, Uh they would like passive aggressively on Facebook, talk about their pours and how they're like real Uh pours. (laughs) But that's like small town wow. upstate New York, right? I guess. <laughs> I don't. That's what I. They're talked like, it if up you want me. a real pour of wine, come, come to us. Right. We're serving. What is it, Carla? Carla Rossi or something? Oh, literally. I'm sure that's what it was. I don't recall exactly. But right. Yes. Good lord. Or right. Like, that's a different era and different uh, demographic. Yeah. To exactly serve, literally. Um. So yeah. So. Eventually, my former business partner and I decided to bite the bullet okay. and figure out how to open a space. Um, and in Troy. In Troy. Okay. Decided not to leave Troy and to just figure out how to make it happen there. Right. And like, econo- like economics were in real estate and all of that was so different. This was this was almost ten. This was ten years ago. Okay. Like, I know that doesn't seem that long ago, but at the same time, it was like a different world back then. And mm. especially in upstate New York, because upstate New York had very much like now there's a lot, there's a lot of like hype around the Hudson Valley mm. and people moving out That's of New skills. York City. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. But back then there was none of that. Like nobody cared. And they definitely didn't care about Troy, right. which was about 40 minutes north of the Hudson Valley. Okay. Got um, it. So people weren't like, I mean, now people go to the Hudson Valley for a lot of vacationing yeah. and it's the, you know, relaxation and getting in touch with nature. And so, um, probably like I stayed in Kingston. Yeah. Yeah. Which I loved. Yep. Yes. Kingston's super cute. Oh man. But to, even Beautiful. like 10, 12 years ago, it was not. Nobody was that. talking about it. No way. Right. Mm-mm. So they were like, is Troy on that path or in that world? It's curious. I don't, uh, I would like to think eventually it will get there, but I uh-huh. wonder if it's just a little too far removed far from out. the city. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, the way this past year has gone, maybe it's not. Right. Maybe. The past year and a half, wherever we're at. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So then how did you, what happened for you to start these kind of what was, what, what did that lead to as far as like you said, you had um, been involved in several projects, yeah. you know, with wine and food and, and you were also probably managing people. Yes. A lot of that. Right. <laughs> as you do in hospitality. <laughs> yes. Um, so over time it started with a, with a natural wine bar in 2012 and um, it, it took off in, in the city and I, it wasn't again, though, it wasn't because of the wine. Hmm. Uh, it took off because hmm. people You're needed a space, space that felt that way. Yeah. Um, so, but with that, my passion and interest and care and deep dive into wine, mm. that's where it really, you know, took it off. really took off and started. Um, but over the next nine years or so, we ended up with uh, an all-day cafe 
a casual fine dining restaurant, a cocktail bar, and a wine shop in addition to the wine bar. I guess a, a dive bar as well. Um, and then also had two businesses that we opened and closed during that period. Okay. <laughs> One was a like um, a gourmet shop, like cheese, charcuterie, sandwiches, which was like just a little bit ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think I really understood retail then. I mean, kind of the pace of retail and how it's very different from hosp- from like restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had... Uh, an old school, like grandma style Italian restaurant. Oh, that, that spot, like you just made me hungry, like right now. (laughs) Oh, that. Yeah. I love Italian food so hard. Um, if there's one, it's danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. Bread, the pastas, Mm -hmm. the sauces, all of it, all of it. And then once you start, there's no stopping. I know. (laughs) It's, uh, Okay, so they kind of also weren't ready for... Or do they have, like, good Italian or... Yes, there's a lot of great Italian up there. Okay. It wasn't even... The people, like, guests came. We had just... It was the one space that we didn't own. And we had negotiated the, the building. We didn't as far own as, building. like, real and We just negotiated... Yeah, we had negotiated a real poor deal. Okay. It didn't make sense for the size of the space and the location. Um, and also just did a... Just, just didn't do the... Just didn't do the math properly. Ah. Basically, in a nutshell. And like And they were like closed it quickly. Luckily we did because it was starting to sink the it was siphoning money from the other businesses. Right. Fail fast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Opening and running small businesses is so much. It's a lot. And I can't imagine like people are like, Oh, do you ever want a restaurant? And I'm like, no. I love the magic, right? That like it, it you are creating magic with these spaces and there's so much that goes into it. Like even just like running a space and managing people and for a restaurant, there's so many different um, plates spinning literally <clears throat> for, for creating a successful restaurants or bars or so many different things. Like it's so much more than I even have to worry about doing what I do because it's uh, so much overhead. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you were really drawn to creating these like space it is such a an important like a physical space to, to gather and to be together. Like we yes. need those spaces and like you probably had like a vacuum of people probably wanting something that was <clears throat> excuse me current and welcoming and elevated and beautiful to be able to like, yeah, I want to go somewhere with my friends or to like meet new people. Um, and opening those doors probably was such a blessing to the community that you are in part of. It was a, it was a really special time Mm. and got, you know, got to work with a lot of incredible people, got to meet a lot of incredible people, learn so much about myself. Sure. Had successes, had plenty of failures. Like Sure. Yeah, it was yeah. intense. Yeah. Within that, something that I'm always um, fascinated by is um, that life happens at us. You know, like we don't have a choice really. And like the um, sometimes in the heartbreaking things that happen to us. And then sometimes we work really hard and we get to places that we're really proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said that you're kind of in this, in that space for 
nine years. And um, this can be any, any part of your life up until this moment. But has there ever, ever been a moment that or like something that you felt like, man, I have worked really hard for this. Like I am like really proud of like something that you have accomplished or made happen. I think I didn't realize how special all of that was until I left. Mm. And maybe that was like a good reason. And and I'm not disappointed that I left. And I think it was the right time for me to leave for Mm -hmm. various reasons. But I, but it was very hard in the day to day to, to see that, but that it really, it was a very, especially at a certain period of time, those spaces were very special and mm-hmm. very special and important to the the growth of the city of Troy mm-hmm. um, and meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, I bet. But you, like, you don't, in, in the moment, you're just like, I have to take care of this. I have to do that. I have to make sure this is right. Uh-huh. I, you know, we had 50 people on our team. That's a lot. Yeah. 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 In the moment, it's like watching paint dry or grass grow or something, right? (laughs) You don't realize it. And then you're like, oh, this looks beautiful after, right after you've, yeah, after it's finished or not, it's not ever finished, but, um, absolutely. Um, has there ever been a kind of a season in life of like anything that has been like a hard season or a challenge or like, um, you know, sometimes we, we are in seasons that are, you know, either something has happened or just a season of life that we've kind of like learned how to like walk through and then kind of came out the other side and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. I will survive. Yeah. I will survive. Um, you know, I guess I never, those businesses were basically like my children. I built them Mm -hmm. from the ground up. I spent every day in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, I, I was the operations manager so to speak and like but then worked behind the bars and host like I did whatever mm-hmm. um, and was very much involved in the day-to-day operation and when I decided it was the right thing for me to leave personally um first of all it took a lot internally to come to grips with that like is this really the right choice um does it really matter how you feel personally? Like the professional mm-hmm. side of you, this is, this is you, this is who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest thing was when I, I finally like made the decision. I talked to my two um, former business partner and who also like, I don't really want to get into the whole thing right now, but was also my ex is also my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And so the, like, obvi- as you can imagine yeah. that, plays a role and while like we worked together for a long time after we split but at a certain point I realized like if I'm gonna move on with my life and really be happy mm-hmm. it's time for us to do our own thing space yeah because yeah. you're it doesn't matter like how you get along or don't get along there's still always that baggage or there was for me mm-hmm. um So I made the decision. I talked to him. We kind of started to figure everything out, set a date. And then it came time to communicate with the team. And I think Hmm. that was like heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. And so I first told the managers and I was bawling. (laughs) And then I wrote an email to send out to the staff as a whole because there was no way to tell everyone individually. 
And then we need to get like 50 people together when you're running restaurants. And then just be like, oh, (laughs) stand in front of everyone and say, I'm elite. I don't know. Sure. So I sent an email and then I was bawling all day. Um, Sure. You're closing a chapter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of feels like I've sunk so much blood, sweat and tears into building over nine years in Shirley. And then after that is time to like, you've already had some chapters in your life, which yeah. is amazing. Right. And yeah. so you've done some very different things. And then from there you're like, and now this, this part is, is now um, going to be behind me. And then the, the future is in front, but it's never without, you know, you're, we're humans, right. We have, we have, we have that um, tie to our, obviously emotions and how we're feeling. And so right. we have to walk through it. There's no way around it, but through. Exactly. That's tough. And yeah, so much identity attached to it. And the, and the restaurants or the, the spaces were successful. They were, you know, they were recognized. The restaurant was a top 100 wine restaurant in wine enthusiasts two years in a row. And the second year we were the only restaurant in New York outside of New York City. Oh. So it was like my, and I was, mm. that was. On big, you. Yeah. Sure. So, but um, I think that was one of the first, it was one of the first times in my life where like, I think we, we've talked, you and I talked about this previously, but like mm-hmm. profession, my professional life has always driven me. And it was one of the first, maybe the only point in my life where I finally stepped back and was like, what do I need personally? Mm-hmm. And none of this, like literally, how do I tell myself like nothing else matters? What do, what do I need mm-hmm. to personally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now you find yourself in Orlando, yes. Florida. And Welcome. I'm, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I love it here so much. Like I, I have not, uh, looked, looked back, back or regretted the decision for one second. And I say that without hyperbole, like I love it here. Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful to hear. And then you have now a very adorable, lovely um, wine shop, as you mentioned, Golden Hour Wine, which is in uh, Baldwin Park, right in the middle of a bunch of things, but, um, so how, how did that kind of come to be and how did you land in Baldwin Park and order 700 wines and say, I'm here to stay <laughs> with two dogs? Yeah. Uh, so it started, the first place was, um, that I looked at was in Winter Park and then that didn't work out. And then the second place was on Mills and I was excited about that spot, but there was something that just didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. And I randomly stumbled upon this place in Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And it seemed kind of odd because it's very tiny and it's in the middle. It's like literally in the middle of the neighborhood. Like there are townhomes and apartments and homes right around me and golden hours in the middle of that. But but that was really what I what I wanted. I mm-hmm. wanted to be in a walkable neighborhood where people could be, you know, walking their dog home at the end, you know, after they get out of work and pop in and taste taste some wine and then grab a bottle to take home or share a glass with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, really use the, I want the, the neighborhood, the community to use the space in a way that makes the most sense mm-hmm. for them and, um, 
And, and as we know, like Orlando doesn't have a ton of walkability. So in that way, Baldwin <clears> Park <throat> really seemed like a good fit because walkability was really important to me with my previous businesses. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, in the idea of a neighborhood wine shop, you right. kind of need a little bit of that. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. It's like the little wine shop around the corner. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And you're doing it. And you have been in business for... It's almost seven months now. Okay. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Wow. doesn't seem possible that it's been over half a year. Mm-hmm. But... And you've made some... You opened your doors and welcomed the neighborhood in and... Yeah. yeah. Orlando is... The rest is history. And your shop is also very lovely, beautiful, minimalistic, and it feels like it reads a lot of Heather. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to design as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of like, all right. I mean, you've been down this road before. And so now you get to reimagine something. Yes. And that was really fun. Yeah. Because I got to do it after having learned a lot along the way. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, and we're so excited that we're going to partner together for something. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, it's already November, which is unbelievable. <laughs> um, but November 30th, we are going to do a French fete. And you are going to showcase... A bunch of French wine. A bunch of French wines for all the wine enthusiasts out there. And then we will do some French hors d'oeuvres and just some a little bit of food and a little bit of wine. Yes. And gathering around your table in your little shop, which will be really fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. People can buy tickets to that. We'll have a 6 p.m. seating and an 8 p.m. So hopefully we'll get some neighborhood folks and then other folks just in there to to discover your your shop. Exactly. And if they are enthusiasts, then they will not be bored. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, good Lord, if I liked wine, this would be the place to be. Because there, I am literally surrounded on all <laughs> angles, and I'm sure you you have so many different um, bottles that you get to share with people just to taste around the around the globe. Yeah, it's, in, it's in a that lot place. Of fun. That's pretty amazing. Well, thanks for coming down and opening up something that I'm sure a lot of people will really enjoy like you said you're kind of like when you open those doors and you're like here's here's what we have to offer i think orlando really responds to people that put thought and effort you know into a space and into offerings and things of that nature which is really cool so we've kind of like heard a little bit about it in your story along the way but the enneagram for me Mm -hmm. has been something that's been very helpful for me um and it's kind of like a road map i feel like in terms of personality wise and um i've also been very i've always i have a degree in psychology and oh okay yeah i thought i was gonna be a therapist um but life kind of took some different different routes um but i am fascinated by people's stories and i think um learning the ways i think that we're innately wired can be very very different for a lot of people obviously um but i uh sometimes couldn't really wrap my head around how people operate so differently from me because Mm -hmm. i only know we only know what's in our own operating system in our own brains so the enneagram is kind of like this map of nine different personality types 
Um, but within that, there's so many things that get to like um, inform who we are and different ways that, you know, of course, like our natural, natural proclivities and then our family of origin, the ways that we have grown up and our nurture and how, how all of that melds to create the human um, that we were, that we are. And then being adults get to like grow into and being able to either hopefully look at some of this stuff and be able to see the shadow and the light. Um, so for me, it's been like super helpful in that way. And I'm always like wanting to, to chat about it in that way. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for looking at it for in, sure. in, um, in, in brief, but when you looked at it, you kind of felt like maybe there was two that you feel like you would maybe land on, um, yes. within yeah. those in there. <laughs> I think it would make a lot of sense. I think it was a mix of one and three. So the reformer and mm -hmm. achiever, the former and the achiever. Yeah. I definitely see obviously a lot of that through your stories. Um, being like you said, kind of just like naturally self driven, right. To want to, to do good or to do the right thing. Um, which is very much the one is like, uh, they can be very driven by the right and the wrong of things. Like they, they see it very clearly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and then, uh, the vision of wanting to like do something, um, and be able to bring people along in that, in that vision to make something happen takes like, you know, people with, uh, with knowledge and um, motivation to lead people well in that way, you know, both the three and the one have a lot of capacity for that, for leadership and kind of like, I mean, all leadership is how we invite people in right to the, to that story and how we invite them in and um, help them to accomplish the roles that they're in or what needs to happen to get to the place to make the thing happen. It could be good or it could be toxic. <laughs> All the things. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah. So like, I mean, you've seemed to, to land in some of those kind of leadership roles or um, very uh, driven, like you said, kind of like internally, right. In some of the careers that you have chosen. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Throughout your life. Um, had like, was, was like leading a team of 50 or being involved in that? Did, did that feel like something that was like, how, how did that impact? It you? definitely could be stressful and was very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, and also very rewarding. Um, I always, I think that the part that I took the most pride in was, selecting the team and okay. finding folks who like helping folks find the right role for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And it wasn't necessarily about previous experience as much as who they are as people. Right. Okay. So you loved kind of like seeing maybe their potential. I loved creating a team right. and like had very clear, a very clear vision for the type of person that, that fits mm. within the organization. Mm -hmm. Were you the one mostly doing the hiring? Yeah, I was always involved with the hiring and 
you know, I, I worked hard to have my managers be involved as well, but I tried to groom them with that and sit in on a, on a lot of the interviews with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's, you know, it's a skill that I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect at it, but I, but I did enjoy it and did think a lot, a lot about it. And mm-hmm. I, it's a skill that you can take with you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Were you like, uh, I just feel like running such a large uh, enterprise, you would probably need a lot of like operational manuals or like guides or like, were there ways that you were able to like say, here's how we would like to run things here? I worked on those. I was never perfect at it. Okay. I I always felt like they needed more work or we needed more of them. Um, And I definitely wasn't a micromanager. At least I don't think so. And I don't think my former team members would say (laughs) so. I think I was very much find the right people for the right roles, put them in Mm -hmm. it and let them lead and have conversations and provide feedback. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were the leaders. Right. They could own their own roles. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, Excuse me. Fascinating. Uh, Yeah. It is interesting just how much um, when you are leading to be able to have empathy, things like empathy and vulnerability and being able to, these are some of the things that I think that I wish that I had known earlier on in my life, just how important it is to like understand that people are coming from very different places Mm -hmm. and maybe they're, they're, communication is very different. Right. Um, and it's not wrong or bad. Their reward system is very different. Like some people want a hundred dollar bonus. Some people want you to tell them thank you yes. to their face. Somebody yes. wants you to sit and have coffee with them. Yep. Right. So each of us ha- can be very, very, you know, we interpret the world in very different ways and then retaining, like as you're in, in hospitality, being able to retain a talented team, takes a lot of navigating different personalities because we need all of them to have a functioning community, society, all the things. Um, And as like, you know, a manager or somebody that is, um, you know, directing the way that you want an operation to manifest, it is like keeping a lot of uh, people happy (laughs) in a sense of being able to communicate with them where they are you know, and their personality, different personalities. Definitely. Yeah. And the, and the larger the organization gets, the harder it is. Yeah. And to I, be on the level. Yep. And I never felt it was something I always cared about. And it was something I never felt good enough at. Mm. Like, I just always felt it's, like you, you, I always felt like I was failing someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's probably part of life. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's never going to be a perfect execution of everything. Right. Yes. But I think hopefully now more than ever, hopefully people and managers are more aware of what it is to like lead with empathy or lead with um, hopefully caring about their staff and knowing that they might not operate in the same way that I do, Mm -hmm. Um, which is so fascinating. Um, So the last topic is actually my very favorite (laughs) and I could talk about it. Uh, all day, but, um, is rest. And so like how we step back from the world and, um, recover, recoup, um, kind of like just make this 
you know, space for ourselves to play, to discover, to physically rest, you know, rest can be so many different things to different people. Again, like we're built very differently. Um, but you know, I feel like a lot of times creativity comes out of rest. And like Mm -hmm. you were saying, even traveling and going like in your downtime to be able to like, just absorb those different places, kind of like maybe hopefully off the clock you had, you know, your creativeness could probably flourish more, um, in those, maybe in those times I shouldn't speak for your story, but, um, but I feel like if we don't have these like moments of rest or like seasons or pockets of rest to renew and to just either physically be, um, or to be creative in, 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 um, you know, like if we are stressed, there's no room for creativity in that way. But, um, what would be some of the ways for you that you've adopted to like ingratiate rest into your world? What does that kind of look like? Um, while it's not physical rest, mentally going for a run is huge for me. And it's one of a lot of great thoughts or like I always feel very positive. So everything that comes out of my run, mm-hmm. it's all positive energy, positive thoughts, solutions to problems. Right. Um, and there there have been so many times in my life where I've, you know, like let running grow and then I come back to it. And every time I come back to it, I'm like, mm. how did I let this go? I mean, it's so hard physically. Always. It never, for me, it never gets easier. Yes. Um, but it really does do so much for my mental state. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I think, like, I also really love just going out and having a nice meal um, and being on the other side of things. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like sitting down at a bar or at a table and that first, like, splash of wine that gets poured. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this moment of anticipation and just, like, okay, like, just have, a, like, an hour, an hour and a half of just, like, mm-hmm. just, like, take it all in, mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's why I love hospitality, because I think um, the fact that people choose to spend their time with you, time and money is like, wow. An honor. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hospitality is like taking care of people. Yeah. 100%. Which is, which is something that should be in the F and B world and then should be in the world at large, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Cause we need it on both ends. I need to receive it. And then we also need to be the people giving it as well, which is beautiful. If you had 24 hours, an ideal, mm-hmm. perfect day, money is of no issue. You could be here. You could be anywhere in the world. You could, obviously you're not, not working, but if you could just have one day to yourself, (laughs) what would your, what would an ideal day for you be like? I don't know. (laughs) This is like, this is the hardest question you've asked me. Right. Um, I think, um, I would, I don't know. I enjoy just, I I don't feel like I'm like, I I really want to plan a trip to Europe sometime soon, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that's like, uh, right now in my life, I Mm -hmm. feel very lucky that I I truly am just like enjoying every moment. Yeah. Um, I feel 
very fulfilled, like professionally and personally. Mm. And um, what I guess there are a lot of things I want to do, but I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. I, I really can't answer it. It's a, a beautiful place to be in life where you're feeling fulfilled. Yeah. On a lot of levels. I think that's what most people are working towards. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'll be here forever, for sure. Sure. <laughs> right now, today. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you ever have any, like, MO or mantra or anything that you try to, like, lead your life by? I mean, I always, I try very hard to focus on, like, the moment that mm-hmm. you're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I'm not always successful at that, but that's something like, I feel like my entire life Mm. that I've worked on and like Mm -hmm. staying focused, staying centered, appreciating kind of what I have. Yes. And and I'm definitely not always good at it. Right. (laughs) There there are plenty of times when I fail completely, but sure. Yeah. But it, it is something that's kind of like in your mind to always be aware of like, we're here right now. This is life. This mm-hmm. is it. Yep. Yep. Happy. Embrace it. Figure it out. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Just like go with it. Go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, if folks were to find you online um, or and, and or find your shop, how would they how would they find you? Instagram is great. Okay. So Golden Hour Wine on Instagram. Uh, golden hour dot line uh, is our website um, and we're, we're launching a lot of tastings um, and a couple of other fun things this month so you should definitely okay. check it out and then personally uh, my Instagram is Heather Levine I think <laughs> I like, <laughs> I'm not I, I think it is okay fair enough yeah, yeah. good so if people want to follow all the fun wine things that you're doing. Yeah. Yes. Definitely golden hour wine on Instagram. That's your like, yeah. Main landing yeah. page. Absolutely. Um, and then if you want to join us on November 30th, we'll be doing a wine, um, a little wine event then. So hopefully people will, will join. Um, Thank you so much for taking your time and just chatting with me. And it's so fun to learn more of your story and who would have ever known teaching baseball and (laughs) all the things that like um, life is made up of all these like different moments. And sometimes you meet people, but you don't really know the full story of like how they got to the spaces that they are in now and the challenges and the successes and life is always evolving and changing and People are beautiful and very resilient. So for sure. Yeah. Thanks for spending some time here. I appreciate it very much. Until the next time. Yes. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 